Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about the professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today. My name is Vicki Basilica, and I am the director of the section of clinical specialists and scientists here at ASHP. And we'll be chatting with Rob Puglisi, who is the director of innovation design at Thomas and Jefferson University and Jefferson Health, where he co-founded the Health Design Lab, a creative space built with the purpose of merging together design studio ethos with science-oriented discipline to foster innovation in healthcare. Rob will be sitting down with us today to talk about what he does in this position, how he got there, share some of his projects, and about the role innovation plays in healthcare. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rob. Thank you, Vicki. It's great to see you. Yeah. So let's start with the basics. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your current position, and how you learned about this job. So, um, you know, I have a really interesting job these days where I do a lot of different things. I am a pharmacist and I am trained in emergency medicine. I spent um, 10 years, uh, actually, no, 12 years practicing in emergency medicine, pharmacy and pediatrics, and then in adult medicine. I was really focused on, you know, academic research and things like that. Got to work with you in the ASHP a special interest group on emergency care, which was really amazing. And then like halfway through about five years ago, you know, the, I had some opportunities come up where, you know, people had problems that they need addressed. And I found myself being drawn to try to help solve them. And I started doing that a little bit. And then I started doing a little bit more and more until I kind of found myself doing that almost more than my pharmacy job and carved out a space where I could be essentially a professional problem solver, much like I was as a pharmacist, but on a kind of grander and a larger, wider scale. So now um, I'm the director of innovation design for the Jefferson Enterprise. Jefferson is in Philadelphia. We're the largest provider of healthcare in Philly. We have, I think, 14 hospitals, over 30,000 employees, and also we're a university, uh, traditionally health science, but we merged with a design school about four or five years ago. So now we're kind of a comprehensive university. And it is crazy working at Enterprise this large because kind of one of my jobs in that role is to create an ecosystem for innovation for all, you know, 30,000 plus employees in the organization. And it's something that, you know, a lot of organizations try to do and it's really hard and something we're always trying to do better. And then the my kind of the other half of my job is as the co-founder of the Health Design Lab, I I'm also doing kind of this ecosystem development. However, on a much kind of smaller scale, I actually get to do innovation in that role, right? So we have kind of the equipment and facilities to be able to experiment and to give shape to innovation. And then also it's a place where I get to teach innovators, right? To help others who have a similar mindset kind of to myself and to create a space where they can come and they can exercise their creativity. So a few years ago, I actually had the opportunity to visit Rob on site uh, where he showed me around his lab and man, it was super cool. There were mobile workspaces, 3D printers, invention from workshops that he had done before and dozens of other projects in development. Uh, while I was there, we met with somebody who could print patient specific 3D organs for surgical practice. 
just, it was just wild. Rob, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in the innovation lab? Uh, you know, what do you do on a daily basis and who do you work with? Yeah. I mean, the lab really is my happy place. It was essentially a basement, like a forgotten basement uh, before somebody was like, Hey, you guys are doing cool stuff. Do you want to like work out of this basement? And it turns out that that basement is actually a bank vault in a former federal reserve bank. So my lab is inside of this massive vault that has like a, you know, a vault door with, I think like a 20 foot radius. It's, it's crazy. It's one of the largest vaults ever made. And it's a really evocative space. So we've transformed this into someplace where when you walk in immediately, you're like, wow, this is like kind of that reaction that you had is exactly what we're going for, right? We want people to, when the second they walk in, think differently and to start kind of expanding their imagination as to, you know, how they can solve problems in practice. So, you know, I'm really lucky to be able to work in a place like that. And when we do a lot of things, right, kind of, that's kind of, part and parcel to working in innovation is you are, you kind of give up that concept of being a specialist. And, you know, uh, really, I'm an, an expert at being a generalist at this point, where I have to know a lot of different things about a lot of different things. So, so, you know, we do a lot, right? So we teach students and professionals about something called design thinking. If you've never experienced design thinking before, it's a kind of like a mentality. It's a way of thought, a creative process that helps people kind of think more like, let's say, a professional designer would or a prof- professional creative would. And for somebody who maybe doesn't do that as their full-time job, to bring some of those elements of creativity in a really approachable way into, into their, their problem solving. So that's kind of how we got our start. And a lot of what we do is about teaching and about, you know, teaching teachers how to incorporate that into their work. Another thing that we do, we do a lot of work in the community. So that same kind of design thinking mindset that we would use to solve problems, let's say in the hospital or, you know, or, or in the healthcare environment, we also do in the community, right? Because, you know, everybody is well aware that when we have somebody coming to us as a patient with an illness, you know, a lot of the things that cause that were because of, you know, the, the world in which they grew up, right? And the environment in which they grew up, um, you know, we call this social determinants of health. These days, it goes by kind of a much more clear name. And a lot of that is due to racism and racial policies, right? And racial injustices. And we approach those directly. And we use kind of design thinking as a way to better understand people in communities, understand where they're coming from. And if we're talking about improving the health of communities, that health design thinking helps us approach it from a, a place of understanding, right? And, and understanding where people are coming from and walking a mile in their shoes, if you will. Now, on, that's not all we do. We also have a lot of technologies in the lab. So, you know, Vicky was talking about 3D printing in, um, for surgery. So yeah, we do have a lot of technologies in the lab that enable us to not just explore, not just to use those technologies, but to explore what their uses can be that maybe people aren't using them for. So 3D printing is a great example of that where, you know, 3D printing technology these days is very accessible. And we were were very easily able to take medical images of patients, convert them into 3D printed models, and then use those to either help a surgeon better plan for their surgery or to give to a patient to better explain like the procedure that they're about to go through to them. It's a really valuable tool. And the cool thing is we're able to do that like today, like that technology is it's not theoretical, right? Like we are actually 3D printing organs and body parts and surgeons are using them to improve the surgeries of our patients that are literally happening today, which is pretty amazing. 
I think. Especially when you hear a lot of like the exciting technologies out there are always being applied in like this theoretical future way. Like, no, this like the future is now when it comes to 3D printing and healthcare. And then we do get to kind of work on the periphery as well. So we have a bioprinting lab that we started about a year ago. So now that is kind of more like using this technology and that science to think about how we can improve care in the future. Because now, you know, what we're doing is we're essentially 3D printing cells and cellular constructs. You know, we're not printing organs today, right? But again, we're kind of helping make this technology accessible to the organization and to the research body at the university as a whole, so they can figure out how to 3D print organs, right? And then the last thing I'll say is at the end of the day, really what we do is we bring people together, right? And that's kind of the core of how we approach things in the lab is, you know, we want to bring people together who would normally not be talking, you know, like the engineer and the physician, the pharmacist and the designer, and we want them to come together and share and kind of be more creative together for the sake of the people we hope to serve, who is our patients. So let's talk a little bit about being a pharmacist. How does being a pharmacist prepare you for this role? And how does your experience as a pharmacist enhance the role? Well, you know, I think the number one thing about being a pharmacist that brought me to where I am and I think makes me good at what I do is communication. And I say this to a lot of students that I'm teaching, you know, when they're kind of exploring what is their career path for themselves as a young pharmacist. And I say, well, don't just think of yourself in the terms in which, you know, you were taught. Um, think about what are the skills that you have and how could you apply those skills in other places? So for me, I feel like very few people in the healthcare continuum are as good at, at interdisciplinary communication than pharmacists. Like we really are like these masters of mediation, right? Like we can speak to the physician, to the nurse, to the patient, to literally anybody, the family member, literally anybody in that care continuum and understand how to translate, right? Like how to translate the language, do like, are we doing doctor speak, right? Are we doing patient speak? We know how to do that really well. And a lot of that comes down to that's a core of what we do as a pharmacist, right? Is facilitating communication. So that skill is directly what led me to my job now. And I think which makes me good at what I do is because as a pharmacist, I'm so good at bringing people together and, and facilitating those communications. All I've done now is just instead of just facilitating communications between like the healthcare group, right? I've now just added in other professions into that bubble, right? To the designer and the engineer and, you know, the entrepreneur and the business person. And how did I learn those languages? Partially is just because those things interest me and they always have, right? But you know, I've just now become, again, this this great communicator, and, and that's really key when it comes to innovation. Yeah, I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier was you also ended up being like the uh, person who was putting out the fires. Um, and I feel like as pharmacists in general, we're dealing with operational issues and clinical issues all in the same day. So I think that's like another way we flex our muscles. And it sounds like that's kind of what you do here at uh, Jet Design as well. Yeah, so many people struggle with complexity, right? And I think that's one thing that pharmacists do not have a problem with is like complex logistics or you know, any kind of complex system, we're trained from the very beginning to understand these systems, to navigate them and to create them. 
And, um, you know, a lot of the complexity in, in healthcare that needs to be kind of addressed and fixed right now is, uh, is perfect, right? Is the perfect thing for somebody who understands complexity to address and to pick it apart, to analyze the system, to see where the inefficiencies are, or just what sucks about it, quite frankly, and what experiences, what part of the experience is terrible and improve it. So let's shift gears just a little bit. What's been the most surprising or unexpected thing about your job? And what have been some of the unique challenges? Uh, that's you know such a great question because you go into every job with a, with what you hope it's going to be, right? What you think it's going to be, and then you end up with what it actually is. And hopefully it's somewhere in between those things, right? Right. Um, and I think usually it is, right? You know, when you, when you think of innovation, you know, immediately you start to think of like stuff cool stuff, right? Like, oh, like I want to make cool stuff. And a lot of my job is making cool stuff. However, at the end of the day, really so much of my job is not really about that thing, right? It's not about the tangible thing. It's not about a single particular innovation. You know, it's about kind of creating this really hard to explain and hard to describe ecosystem where innovation and innovations and innovative people can flourish. That's really what what an innovation professional has to do, and and I didn't you know fully understand that going in. And I I wanted to make things with my hand. Uh, so much of what I love to do is like building and creating, and I still get to do a lot of that right now and then, especially since I have my lab and I can just go and tinker around with the three D printer if I want to, um, if I have time. But really, so much of what I do is that building of bridges, making connections. And being that problem solver, right? I'm I'm kind of the person that like, you know, uh, Swiss army knife person who people come to who can, you know, fix pretty much anything that, that comes down the pipeline. And uh, again, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm a pharmacist and I spent 12 years fixing really complicated problems in healthcare. So who have been your mentors through all of this? I know mentors is such i mean it's such an important thing and what i've learned is that essentially like the farther you advance in your career you think that you're just gonna like someday you transition from being a mentor to this like from being a mentee to like a mentor and you don't have to ask people anymore for help because you get it all i found it's actually just the complete opposite like Like, if only (laughs) yeah like the far the, the longer i've been in my career the more i've the more i rely on my mentors quite frankly and i and of course i've been lucky i'm very privileged that uh, throughout my career and, and my education and, and then beyond, I've had really great mentors. I mean, uh, just to give you an example, like you're one of my mentors, Vicky, right? Like <laughs> Vicky was like, Ricky was there like kind of when I was getting, you know, in breaking into like kind of pharmacy leadership with the SAG and kind of Vicky helping, you know, kind of demonstrate what that means, right? And people like that are really important at different stages of your life. And especially like people like Brian Hayes, right? He was the chair when I first came into the emergency special interest group. And he's still, I still consider him to be a mentor, right? Those are the people who demonstrate like what you can be and help you strive to to be there and are there when you have questions and are willing to answer them and to be responsive, right? Those are kind of the traits of a really great mentor. And, you know, now I have different mentors and it's becoming more complex, right? I have different mentors for different things, right? Like, so my, um, my colleague, my close colleague, who's my co-founder in the lab, Bon Koo, he's an emergency medicine physician, and he's the one who kind of helped steer me into this new career path. And we created this thing together. And I 
every day I, I look to him for guidance, almost like too much so, where I'm a little concerned sometimes that we're a little too close, me and him. Um, you know, I don't know who's the work wife, me or him, but whatever. We, we can be our work spouses, I guess. There you go. <laughs> a little more PC. You know, uh, I rely on my mentors so much. And then, and then the other thing is, another thing I've realized is mentors aren't always like your senior, right? Like now that I am somewhere like I'm a mid-career person, right? I've got a lot of mentors who are, who are my senior, but I found myself now having mentors who are my junior. A lot of my mentees who I've, who have kind of broken out into the pharmacy world now and are doing really amazing things. Like they're my mentors now. Like I look to them for inspiration. I'll even reach out to them now and then not just to like, say you're doing an awesome job, but like, Hey, you're doing an awesome job. What do you think about this? You know, and to get their feedback on stuff. And that's amazing. I mean, that's for me has become a surprising like value of teaching and mentorship is that when your mentees grow up and become mentors on their own, it's really validating to be able to turn to them and be like, wow, you're doing this better than I am now. Can you please help me get better? Like that's, that's, it's really hard to explain how satisfying and how awesome that is. You know, for sure. What advice do you have for someone who would be interested in a job like yours? Well, one thing is, you know, there's not a lot of jobs like mine out there, right? So the first thing is you got to have the guts to step out on a limb and create something. You know, I left a very clear, comfortable career, right, for this job. And I essentially created it on my own, right? I just stepped into a void. I started essentially doing things in that void. And I did it so much and hopefully so well that somebody was like, hey, you should do this as a full-time job. Would you like to do that, right? This My job did not exist before I held it. And to be honest, the job that I had when I first got out of school as an emergency medicine pharmacist didn't exist either, right? I was the first person to hold that job. So I don't know if it's a trend that I just like torturing myself <laughs> um, and throwing myself into these untested positions that nobody knows what to do with and I just figure it out. But honestly, like you have to be comfortable with that, right? You have to be comfortable like jumping into the deep end, not knowing how to swim or what the hell to do and just figuring it out. And, you know, I have to, you know, I have to say a lot of it again is privilege. I've been very lucky. Um, however, you know, there, there's plenty of opportunities for me to say no. And to me to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I spent 12 years perfecting my specialty in emergency medicine. I could just happily just continue doing this and excelling in academics and doing that kind of thing. But for whatever reason, I got this thing inside me that said, no, it's time to do something different. And I listened to it. So, you know, being willing to listen to that voice and act upon it and being comfortable with that ambiguity that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and it's not a sure thing. And I don't know if my job's going to exist, especially in today's climate. I don't know if my job's going to survive next month, next year, who knows, but I'm okay with that. One thing is as a pharmacist, we're lucky because we have a fallback, if you will. It's not a, you know, I'm not saying that it's like, should be your secondary choice, but we're always in demand as a profession and we're very lucky because that, because of that. And, you know, I know that if things get re really that bad, I'd be okay. Yeah, I agree. I feel like uh, one of the things I try and instill on students when I have the rotation is, you know, don't be afraid to step outside of that comfort space because you never know what you'll find. It might be something that you actually were meant to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it feels good when you get it right. And let me tell you, I did not get it right all the time. Right. It's a bumpy road getting to where I am today. 
Um, but I think a big part of that is never looking at your failures as failure. Like, it's funny, like one of those things, like a lot of my mentors will ask me, like, have you ever failed in your career? And I'll be like, mm -mm. and they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Of course you have. <laughs> like, no, I don't fail. Like, I've screwed up a lot. And I've made some decisions that I wish I had made. But I have a real, I, I've never looked at those things as failures. I've looked at them as just learning opportunities, right? That's what, what made me into who I am today. Luckily, I didn't screw up enough that it like destroyed me or whatever. I didn't do something <laughs> so bad that it like, I was like, you're like, it shut down my world. But like, small failures are okay. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, right? And um, if you don't fail, you don't learn. And, and really, like, that's what, what got me. My failures are what got me to where I am today, almost more than my successes. For sure, for sure. So I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about innovation. Can you come talk to us about like why innovation is important and then maybe just a little bit about what innovation looks like in something like this, like a pandemic? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing when you're talking about innovation is it means completely different things to different people, right? So there is no common definition of innovation. Sure, you can find a definition for the word innovation, but that doesn't mean if you ask two different people, hey, what is innovation to you, that they're going to tell you the same thing. So the first thing is that, is kind of understanding the spectrum of innovation in practice, because it means a lot of different things, and understanding what those different things are is, is really important. So, you know, for some people, it's a new thing, right? It's a new invention. Um, and, it, and the creation of that thing that didn't exist in the world before, that is the innovation. For others, it has nothing to do with the thing. It's, some, it's potentially creating a new business model or a new revenue stream. Right. So when you hear about corporate innovation or innovation jobs in most corporations who necessarily may not be in the, the business of making new products, innovation in a company like that is going to be, are we reaching a new, you know, um, uh, customer group or can we offer a new product, even if it's very similar to the old product we had that brings in a new kind of revenue model for us? That's a very common definition of, of, of innovation. But you know, I'm lucky in my position that I get to approach innovation as a mindset, right? That's, that's my brand. That's my version of innovation. That's my kind of my reality every day. And what I have to do is I have to learn, I've learned and I help others incorporate these tools of design and creativity into what they do, essentially so that they can come to a different conclusion than most people would, right? So, whether that's in teaching our students, right, to use this so that when they go out into the world, they think differently and they're able to improve healthcare. If it's our clinicians, right, it's t t giving them these tools so that they can um, go back to their practice and use them to directly like affect the care of their patients and how their practice works. And when it is like things like, because I do do product development and in my kind of more technical work, again, it's it's like thinking differently. Like, yeah, I could look at a 3D printer and print a tchotchke. There's like, you can go online and download thousands of free tchotchkes to print and you can be very happy. And I'd be very happy printing them all day. It sounds fun. I'd love like another Game of Thrones head on my desk. And then um, selling them on Etsy. <laughs> yeah, or selling them on Etsy, Etsy, which I may start doing if the pandemic gets any worse. Um but no, like looking at them and saying like, what can we do? And a lot of that is understanding that you might not have the right answer. You need to bring more people into the room, 
right? And to accept that other opinions and other, you know, other perspectives are critical to innovation. It's so important is kind of diversifying the amount of people in the room because I didn't know what the heck to do with, with a 3D printer before about four years ago when, when somebody literally gave me a 3D printer and then I found a surgeon and I was like, hey, surgeon, like, what would you do with this? And they were like, oh, my God, it would be amazing if I can 3D print the mandible of my patient because these reconstructive surgeries are so complicated. And we spent hours like with the patient open on the on the operating table and trying to figure out how to reconstruct their jaw. What if we could do it ahead of time on an artificial model? Is that possible? And I was like. There's no way in hell that's possible. And I turn to my students, I'm like, find out if that's possible. And it was, it was totally possible. Like we we're like, we were able to do it without even spending any money. And quite frankly, like with just like open source tools and just bringing like something that was used in one sector into a new sector that it hadn't been used in before. And boom, you've got an innovation all of a sudden. So it, that wouldn't have happened, honestly, right? If I didn't have like the right people in the room, it's all about having the right people in the room. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, innovation in light of COVID-19? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, you know, it's been such a, uh, you know, hard to explain or hard, hard to fully encompass, like, how different our lives are today, like, to the point where, like, I actually, like, forget what the hell it was like before like January, I was like, wait, what did we used to do? Did we used to have like lunches together? And I'd like talk to people besides my kids on a daily basis in person? Like, what what was that? So in times of crisis, right, like this, uh, a lot of people immediately what they do, and it's totally natural, and that's to close off, right? You, You circle the horses, you figure out what are the necessities, let's cut the fat, let's make sure that we are just doing, you know, we are just focusing on the absolute necessities because there's too it's too much crazy going on and we don't need more crazy in our life we just need to focus on the things that are sure the problem with that at least on a kind of organizational or corporate scale or even on an individual scale is when you when you forget kind of you you have to leave room for innovation like you have to leave a little bit of room for chaos right for creativity and you have to continue to invest in it Right. And that's like, you know, if I'm putting my corporate hat on, you know, investing in innovation is something that if you look kind of historically at the businesses in the world that have failed and the businesses that have succeeded through crises, it is always the businesses that have invested in innovation who succeed. Right. Who who, despite like having no margin, still said, like, all right, we're going to take five percent of our people and our stuff and say, just keep on innovating. Like we're going to, don't worry. The rest of us will figure out how to make the normal day-to-day business run, but we got to have, that's like the insurance policy, right? That insurance policy, you can take that as an, as a person, it's the same exact thing, right? Like you have to leave room in your mind to like, don't just to, to innovate still and to allow yourself to be creative and to allow yourself to think big, even when the world kind of feels like really small these days. So to give an example of that, the lab really has kind of transformed during the crisis into a kind of like problem solving center. And we were sort of already that, but you know, when we had all these issues come up with uh, supply chain and not being able to access PPE, not being able to access testing supplies and other things that were necessary, we found people were looking for answers about what do you do about this? Like, this is a really weird problem for most organizations to have. And a lot of them came to us, right? Because they were like, oh, let's go talk to the weirdos who know how to handle crazy things. And 
there and having the weirdos accessible that's basically what we are we're like this accessible group of like freaks and geeks who love working in these weird spaces people will come to us and some of the things like we were we were really lucky in philadelphia in that we did not run into a ventilator shortage we did not um we we were really good on ppe luckily our organization was very well prepared as far as ppes goes but one thing we did start running out of was uh test swabs so the little like long q-tips that you kind of jam into your face and tickle the back of your nose that everybody absolutely hates it became really difficult to access not just the swabs, but the media that you transport, like the sample in, all of those things. So our lab people were looking around for help, and then they came to us, and they were like, I heard somebody was 3D printing swabs. Like, is this possible? And we were like, yeah, it is. Because what we did is as soon as the pandemic hit and we saw that there was a need for local manufacturing to kind of fill these gaps, I spent two months just like, glued to my freaking desk every day just reading every single thing i was on like a, a hundred of these like slack groups and like these manufacturing groups and just monitoring like what's viable what's not who's making masks do they work who's you know that kind of stuff so that when somebody came to me with a problem i was like i had that information for them and they did right so i had saw that there were some people at the university of south florida who were who had came up with a design for swabs and were in the process of validating them uh, we got a hold of them. We participated in a, in a multi-center study to validate the safety and efficacy of 3D printed nasal swabs on our patients. I was the PI. I'm a. I was a PI on a nasal swab study. Like, uh, ask you me if that. You never thought you would say yeah, what? Like, <laughs> a, for, for a 3D printed multi-center nasal swab study. Yeah, like that's what I did, and you know why I did that? Because again, like I was like I'm Mister like Logistics. They were like, everybody was like, oh Rob, you need to take this because nobody else understands 3D printing and healthcare and all those things. I'm all that in one person. So we did it, and it was successful. We tested it on like over a hundred and something patients. It we validated it, like the manuscripts in press, and we're using them on our patients. So we've we've. I converted my lab into a manufacturing space in the middle of April, and we've since uh, 3D printed 35,000 uh, nasopharyngeal oh. test swabs. And we could have even done more, but like we were kind of, you know, we were making what was needed. And they're in patient use, which is insane. Like I never would have, before January, if you asked me like, hey, Rob, can you like, like actually make medical devices, get it validated and use them on patients in like a month and a half? I'd say you're out of your mind. <laughs> But the other amazing thing about like this like crisis mode is like people come together. Like you can really get amazing things accomplished when people are coming together, right? And we hope that's what's going to happen with like our vaccine. Uh, Jefferson has a vaccine in the running, and there's been some amazing collaboration around that. But suddenly, where there would be people putting up walls to crazy ideas, people are like, "Absolutely, bring it! <laughs> how can I help? Like, how can I help? Like, yeah. it was amazing. Like, I've never seen people work together so well." In this situation. So for people like me who like love these crazy big ideas and who thrive off of them, you know, COVID really has been a, it's not a good thing by any means, but it's been a really great environment for innovation, right? When, when people are like, we have to do what we got to do to make things happen. Now on the other side of things, yeah, like all we're talking about now is COVID. Like that's all we've been worrying about. So now I'm like really concerned that the other innovations aren't happening. Right. Just like we're worried about our other patients who have been coming, who haven't been coming in because they're afraid to come in and all the disruptions to care, like all that weighs on me a lot now. But again, I think that's another opportunity for innovation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
So Rob, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today. It was just great to catch up and just to kind of hear a little bit about what you've done and what you're continuing to do. Yeah, so- it's always great to chat with you, Vicki. <laughs> so join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journeys Podcast, where we'll talk to people like Rob and how they seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.